Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Brexit Unspun. This is where we debunk the political spin around Brexit. I'm Shona Jenkins. When Britons voted in last year's referendum on EU membership, nuclear policy was probably far from their minds, but it is turning out to be one of the most complex and difficult parts of the separation process. Here with me to explain why is Alex Barker, our Brussels bureau chief, and Andrew Ward, our energy editor. Andrew, let's first take a look at how much of the UK's energy is generated by nuclear power. Maybe you can explain what is the current share and is the government planning to increase our reliance on nuclear energy? Right now, it's 22.47% of total UK electricity production. That's actually the biggest share. That's a bit more than gas and wind at this moment. And while wind and solar obviously fluctuate, gas can be ramped up and down. Nuclear is very steady and reliable. So it's always between that 20-25%. It comes from eight nuclear power stations, all owned by EDF of France. Problem is, they're all getting a bit old. They're coming towards the end of their life due to be decommissioned in the next 15 years. And so the government is planning to replace them with a new generation uh, of nuclear reactors, starting with one being built by EDF at Hinkley Point in Somerset for £18 billion. Uh, It's supposed to be a symbol of Anglo-French cooperation, but Brexit clearly casting somewhat of a shadow. So is the government planning to increase this share or is it likely to stay stable going forward? They need to build the new plant simply to replace that existing share, which is going to be removed as these old plants are decommissioned. They've been decommissioned at the same time as coal has been phased out as part of the UK's climate commitment. So there's a big energy security challenge and new nuclear is a big part of filling it. Alex, to understand how our nuclear industry will be affected by Brexit, we need to look at the agency that governs nuclear power in Europe. Could you tell us about Euratom and what it does? Yeah, it's actually a bit more than an agency. You've got to imagine this almost like a political project that started in parallel with the European community and the European Union in the 50s that basically provides the framework for governing the movement trade and use of civil nuclear materials across Europe. It arranges all the external agreements we need with countries like America to bring in parts and fuel and actually legally owns all the nuclear materials in the Union and regulates their trade. And so when we voted in the referendum, I don't think many people realised that one of the consequences of that would be leaving this framework, which looks after safety and also the kind of industrial end of things. And yet this is one of the big consequences of that vote. And Britain will need to negotiate a pretty much unprecedented relationship with Euratom after its departure. How will that affect the UK's domestic power plant? 
That's hard to say. You could see an arrangement that is basically like a continuation of the status quo to some degree, but that requires conditions like accepting the oversight of European institutions like the European Court of Justice and the Commission, which actually act as the kind of executive for Euratom. And that's a couple of political conditions that the Conservative Party, at least, have had a lot of difficulty with. At the other end of the spectrum, you could see Britain putting more distance between itself and Euratom and basically recreating its own regulatory architecture and re-establishing the kind of arrangements it needs with markets like America to become more independent in how it manages its nuclear affairs. Andrew, it's not very widely known, but Britain hosts the largest civilian stockpile of used radioactive material in the world. Now, who actually owns this and how did it come about? It's one of the world's most radioactive, toxic, deadly substances, and we've got more of it here in the UK, even than the US and Russia, at least in civilian terms. It was originally seen as an economic asset because the plan was that it was going to be recycled and reused in another form of nuclear fuel. So the UK willingly imported it from Germany, Sweden, several other countries in Europe and beyond. £1.4 billion was spent on a uh, a plant to recycle it. Um, The problem is is that technology didn't work very well and there was less demand than expected for the resulting fuel. So after less than 15 years of operation, this £1.4 billion plant was closed down in 2011 and the UK is now left with this huge stockpile of this toxic substance with not much idea of what to do with it and great sort of ambiguity about who owns it. Now, how costly would it be for the UK to keep the stockpile safe and ensure that it doesn't represent any sort of threat? It's stored in a rather mundane sounding facility called the Product Finishing and Storage Facility at Sellafield on the west coast of Cumbria in northwest England. It's kept in sealed flasks in a building, heavily guarded, built in a way that's supposed to withstand an aircraft strike. Costs about £80 million a year to store and protect. There's been some deals already with Germany, Sweden and some other countries for the UK to take permanent responsibility of it with some financial compensation. The countries which exported it to the UK see this as a failed commercial arrangement. They said, well, we sent it to you to reprocess it. You failed to do that. Now it's your problem. The Euratom departure adds another layer of complexity, as Alex said, because of this legal arrangement where technically it is all overseen by the Euratom body. Alex, what are EU officials saying about what should happen to the plutonium stockpile when Britain leaves the EU? As Andrew was explaining, you know, the ownership of this is crucial. And the EU's opening position in their negotiating directive is basically to say, as you know, we're all part of your atom. This is common nuclear material, but we'd very much like to gift it to you. Please do keep the world's biggest stockpile of civil plutonium and uh, be responsible for that. And it's safeguarding. They're very kindly passing this on to the UK. I can imagine the UK might be thinking about the kind of financial implications of that and whether they're going to be passing over bill in return. So to clarify, who's actually paying for this at the moment? So the UK pays for its storage and its protection. It's underpinned by commercial agreements with the countries that exported the stuff in the first place. So while ultimately the cost is borne by the UK, there will have to be some sort of negotiation with the originator countries of this material as to whether they will foot some of the bill. So what about the Taurus Fusion Project, Andrew? 
Yeah, the Taurus fusion project. It sounds like sci-fi and it kind of is because it's the world's biggest nuclear fusion project, a huge research collaboration involving UK and many scientists from across the EU in Oxfordshire. It's a two billion pound project. There's an experimental reactor there. There's all kinds of research facilities, even a school to serve the children of the European scientists. And this whole project now is threatened with having its funding pulled because it's an EU collaboration. There's a new successor fusion project planned in France, which UK scientists and the UK supply chain was expecting to have a big role in. And that too now, or at least the UK role in it, is clearly in doubt. What other areas could be affected by our departure from Euratom? Well, we mentioned before the fact that the UK is relying on a new generation of nuclear reactors for its energy security. In order to build these, you've got to import the nuclear technology. We don't make our own reactors anymore. We'll be relying on French and Japanese, perhaps even Chinese technology in years ahead. At the moment, the import of nuclear technology, which is very heavily regulated for obvious reasons, is all overseen by Euratom. So the UK will have to build a new regulatory regime in order to secure the technology it needs to build the new reactors. At the same time, it'll also need new regulations to continue its access to the nuclear fuel for existing plants and any other nuclear material, right down to the medical isotopes that are used in cancer treatments and hospital scans. Alex, do you have anything to add to that? I mean, on a political level, I find Euratom fascinating because it kind of boils down a lot of the dilemmas they're going to be facing across other parts of the Brexit negotiation. You know, this is as clear a cliff edge as you can imagine. On the day Britain leaves Euratom and the Union, if there are no arrangements in place, you're potentially in a situation where we don't have the legal means to import fuel and those kind of vital parts that we need for reactors. It's also the example of where the EU side will be most keen to preserve the legal certainty for them that comes with oversight of European courts. You don't want to mess around with safeguarding and nuclear sites and the liabilities that potentially stem from that kind of thing in a messy, uncertain new legal regime. So the ECJ is going to be tremendously important in whatever arrangement is found. And it's pretty hard to keep all the plates spinning in this kind of negotiation. One example from the past that's worth remembering is that Euratom and the US in the 90s needed to renegotiate their longstanding arrangements. And they took about four years to do this before a kind of there was a sunset date that was set when everything lapsed. And it was quite a complex negotiation and it was quite heated at times. And they reached a political deal. But because you needed congressional approval in the US, you actually ended up missing that deadline and having a period of about three or four months where transatlantic nuclear trade basically stopped. And they didn't want that to happen. The politicians had reached the agreement, but it was just one of those logistical, administrative things that became a bit of an oversight. And in handling something as complex as this, you can imagine similar accidents happening where the UK is having to keep its current commitments in place with Euratom, recreate a regulatory structure in parallel, and manage this as part of a multifaceted negotiation with the EU. It's extraordinarily complex. So having raised the idea of a cliff edge and complexity, 
what do you think is the likelihood that these issues can be resolved before Britain leaves the EU in 2019? Well, I'm kind of torn. You know, at the one end, this is the example that Michel Barnier and the negotiators on the EU side will cite to you as a reason why we can't go over the cliff edge. You know, the idea that medical isotopes would not be able to be imported into the UK is pretty unthinkable. So it's kind of one of these situations where there has to be a deal. You can't imagine there not being a deal. But at the same time, some of the hardest dilemmas are boiled down in the Euratom issues. So, Andrew, can you see any upsides for the UK nuclear industry in leaving the EU? Well, there are those who have a more relaxed view who say that a lot of the Euratom procedures and mechanisms can be replicated through sort of mirror arrangements. And also that the UK already has a strong bilateral relationship with the International Atomic Energy Agency and that it will sort of take over a lot of the oversight. So some people see it as soluble. They also point out that Euratom includes countries within the European Union which are rather hostile to nuclear power, including Austria, and that they act as a bit of a break, as a bit of an irritant on cooperation in nuclear technology, nuclear research, and so on. So there is an argument that freed from Euratom, the UK may be able to do its own bilateral agreements with sort of rising powers in nuclear technology, such as Korea and China, and with Japan also, which is an important supplier of technology, and that that could bring advantages. What are your thoughts on that, Alex? There are indeed opportunities that stem for this because, in a way, the challenge of Euratom is building from the ground up a regime that we're falling out of. And that does bring opportunities to look in new directions and build new relationships. But the bigger challenge really is reconstituting a lot of what we already have legally for the industry. And that is going to be a tremendous challenge. And it's not yet clear what approach the government is going to take to this and whether it will try and take a kind of shortcut route that stays close to Euratom or take a more independent approach to this over the years to come. Thanks, Alex and Andrew, and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for another unvarnished look at what Brexit will mean for Britain's trade, economy, public institutions and private sector. We hope you'll join us then. And in the meantime, you can review or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you download. You can also email us at brexitunspun, that's all one word, at ft.com if you have a question or would like to suggest a topic for future episodes. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.